0: Hello, this is Jeff Vanderstelt, Executive Director of Saturate and host of the Saturate podcast. Saturate exists to serve and equip leaders to start and strengthen unified gospel city movements that lead to gospel saturation, to the end that every man, woman and child has repeated opportunities to meet Jesus through his church on mission, everywhere and every day. Now, we believe this will require, like Jesus prayed in John 17, that the church is unified in a region and collaborating around five key initiatives, which we see the, the Apostle Paul living out and Luke recording in Acts 13 and 14, which is citywide prayer, leader health, disciple-making strategies, serving the city together, and starting new churches or new kingdom initiatives. Now, presently, we've been spending some time on the initiative of serving the city and more specifically, we're going to get to interact with a good friend of mine and a partner in ministry here in the the Sound, Chris Goff, who is the network director for Saturate the Sound. Now, Chris is a native to the Pacific Northwest and he began his ministry journey as a college and missions pastor in the Seattle area. Then he spent the past decade at Seattle's Union Gospel Mission, where he got an education in understanding poverty and suffering, and he began to help local congregations work together in their local context to be salt and light and bring the hope uh, of of the gospel of Jesus wherever uh, God puts them. Now, he's had about a year under his belt with Saturate the Sound, where he continues to help people start and strengthen local city gospel networks. And uh, he has been a, a partner in ministry with me for, I guess, about seven years now. Right, Chris? We've been doing this together. Sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah. So, Chris, man, first of all, I'm so glad you're here. I, I think we I had you on a past uh, podcast a while ago, sharing it with a few other of our ministry partners talking about prayer. But now I'd love for you to tell us a little bit more about your previous work with Union Gospel Mission and your present work with Saturate the Sound before we hear more about some of the stuff that's happening in our city.
1: Yeah, thanks, Jeff. It's a a privilege to be on here with you. And um, yeah, it's just what a a great technology that we can share these testimonies and kind of the cool things we see God doing here to people all over the place. So thanks for your work as well, Jeff. Um, But yeah, I spent about the last 10 years at Seattle's Union Gospel Mission after nearly a decade uh, serving in a local church and then going downtown and seeing, you know, extreme poverty and addiction and, and, uh, and seeing how the gospel actually frees people from that. It's remarkable. It's like, look, if it works here, it works everywhere, right? I mean, if it works in these extreme cases, and um, it was really an education. But during that time, um, my role was to work with local congregations, local pastors, local ministry leaders, to say, look, how can you serve those people in greatest need in your city? And so that was really the context for my work for about a decade. Uh, and in that, we helped congregations work with uh, you know, neighboring you know, pastors working with other churches down the street to care for their city. And so what came out of that was really this idea of building out city gospel networks and um, congregations having a shared vision for their place or for a problem in their city. And, um, just such, such a privilege to be a part of that work because, uh, you know, as you, as you outlined the vision for saturate of, of every man, woman, and child having, you know, an encounter with Jesus, right. Repeated encounters with Jesus. It's like no one person can do that. I mean, you, you have to be able to send everybody. Everybody has to have a sense of mission. Everyone has to have a sense of, uh, of calling and, at least in my experience, it's like one of the best places to start with mission is just the biggest problem, right? Like, what's the issue? What's the problem? And it's like, well, homelessness in Seattle is a huge problem. And so that was a starting place for a lot of work. But, um, but yeah, so over about the past decade, working, uh, building out city networks, helping those city networks have a vision for their, a shared vision for their city. Um, and usually almost always that included engaging sort of the presenting problem, right? The, 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 um, the obvious issue in the city, whether that was crime or poverty or homelessness or, uh, so on and so forth. So, uh, that was, that's really been the context for my work. And so through that, I've, I have a unique perspective on the greater Seattle area, which is to say. I have a good sense of what churches are doing all over the place. And it's, it's been such an encouraging, uh, um, and meaningful, uh, decade of work.
0: Yeah. You know, when, when we first uh, came together around this vision for gospel saturation of the greater Puget sound, Chris had been working, uh, very effectively for quite some time with what they called light up the city. Mm. And, uh, it really was helping these churches, Come together, forming networks to care for the space God put them in. And I know the three things that you continue to emphasize was pray together, care for your city together, and make disciples together. And uh, and so it, when when we started to see a vision for others joining this work of saturate the sound, you were already way ahead of us. I mean, what you guys were doing really laid a lot of the groundwork for uh, what we see happening all over the place now. And um, and so it seemed very appropriate that Chris, you continue to give leadership to it. So I'll, first of all, I'm just really thankful for the work you've done, for what Union Gospel Mission has done, um, and just the the way we've gotten to partner together. It's been a it's been a great joy to work with you. I, I am curious as you as you think about the last decade or even more. I guess it's been longer than that. Um, what are some of the ways that you've seen churches serving their city?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'd say the greatest joy, for, you know, I grew up in a church, you know, our, our family didn't move. We I went to the same church the entire time. When I went to a university, I went to a new church, and then I stayed there for, I think, 14 years, right? So I didn't have this idea of going to a bunch of different churches. And so when I took on this role and started visiting, you know, uh, congregations all over the region. Um, not that I had any sort of thought that I was going to the real church or something like that, but, but as I started talking to people, it's like, Hey, tell me a little bit about your church and your ministry and you know, what you guys feel called to do. It's like, everyone was doing something. Um, and, and it's like, why, why would I be surprised by that? I mean, this is, this is central in the narrative of, of scripture, right? It's like, the whole story starts with chaos and bringing order to chaos, right? Let there be light. Um, and then God partnering with Adam and Eve to say, Hey, help me subdue the earth, help me to, uh, bring this place to a place of flourishing. And so, you know, it's like, we shouldn't be surprised, but you know, over the years, I've probably met with, I don't know, 300 plus congregations and everybody's doing something. I mean, it it really is quite remarkable. And so, um, what I did within that was helped pull people together in geographic locations, right? So, uh, churches in Renton coming together. Hey, let's pray over Renton. Let's have a let's love one another because Scripture is really clear that if we don't love one another, how are people supposed to understand that uh, the Father loves them? And and uh, and then let's love the city and loving the city, you know, usually meant dealing with specific issues. So, uh, just as an example. One of our cities, the pastors were meeting weekly to pray over the city, and they would bring in people. They would bring in the police chief. They would bring in uh, the superintendent of schools or a principal or a business leader and, hey, how can we pray for you? Tell us what's going on in business. And that regular rhythm of praying over the city and then responding to the things that they saw. Well, in this case, the superintendent of schools had shared, and then the week after the police chief had shared with them. And they sort of put two and two together that, you know, crime and, and problems, typically a very small percentage of people that are causing a massive percentage of the problem, right? Yeah. And I, I, don't quote me on this, Jeff, but I think it's like, I, I believe the number is 5% of people do 90% of the crime. So it's, it's something like that, right? Like it's a... Wow. And so they said, the superintendent said, look, what if you guys mentored these 50 kind of most problematic kids in our school district? And, uh, the churches kind of said, Hey, we could do that. You know, if we each took a couple of kids, we'd, we'd be there. And so they did that. And they've, I I believe they're still doing that at some level. There's still a group of people regularly praying over the schools and engaging, but they mentored these kids for several years and literally crime decreased in the city. Like Like the crime rates decreased in the city. And, uh, the, um, police chief wrote an email in fact i saw the email where he said hey the only explanation i have for a decrease in crime in a city that's increasing in population is the regular prayers of the local church and the engagement of troubled families right mm. so um so it's like you can't you can't prescribe that i mean you you could try i guess but you can't say hey every city find the 50 mo-. it's like i don't know i think that came from a rhythm of People gathering together, loving their city, walking with one another, trusting one another enough to say, yeah, well, why don't you guys mentor a few and we'll mentor a few and um, an opportunity opens and they respond obediently and the Lord does something, you know, transformational and full of life. And, and so it, um, yeah, I mean, just an incredible story, but in, in every city, right? Like that type of rhythm is going on, like, or should be going on where you've got regular engagement in prayer and then regular response to those things that God illuminates through that engagement. Yeah.
0: No, it's great. You know, I when I I think about some of the some of the work that's been done in this area and I I think about your impact on it, I I know that um your heart has bled uh <laughs> for a lot of the pain and and the brokenness in this region and your vision has been pretty strong about what it looks like to truly care for the brokenness and the needs. I know one conversation we had at the very beginning. I think it was when you and Jeff Lilly were still working together, um, and Jeff used to be the the I guess the executive director of UGM yeah. or what was what was his title?
1: Yeah, president.
0: President, yeah. And just the the thing, one of the things that you guys said to me, I remember, was that uh, we don't we don't fundamentally just have a homelessness problem, we have a discipleship problem. Right. And um, and we also have a, a, a community problem, right? Because at the end of the day, homelessness is about relationship and about not having a significant community to connect to that can be really significantly helpful in your life. And yeah. one of the things you guys discovered, which and I'm only bringing this back because I think it applies to the overall vision of gospel saturation and discipleship being a key part of it, which is, um, you said, like, if we could get churches to actually not just care for the needs of the city, but also be disciple-making disciples, then we could actually bring change to the city. Um, And I'd I'd love for you to talk a little, just, I wasn't going to ask that question, but as you were saying it, I just thought, man, I want to bring that back up, because there's something about that statement that I think was really, really profound for me as I thought about the need in Seattle and um, the church's opportunity to actually make disciples of their own people, so that they could actually send them out as disciple-making so disciples to real problem areas. Would yeah. you share more about your heart and and just passion around that?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, it. it uh, the reason we kind of landed on that, you know, um, I'll just back up a tiny bit. As we started building out these networks, Jeff, one of the things we we had to say was, "What's how do we assess these? Like, how are we doing?" You know. And so we, we came up with just those simple things of, hey, are you praying together for one another for the city? Are you making disciples? Are you loving the, loving the city and loving one another? And that discipleship piece had to be there. And the reason it had to be there was because of our experience at Union Gospel Mission. It's a phrase we love to say is it's not houselessness, it's homelessness. Houselessness would mean it's a material problem, right? We don't have enough clothes. We don't have shelter. We don't have food. And of course, look, if you don't have those things, that's a problem. <laughs> you need those yeah. things. But that's not the fundamental issue. It's, it's homelessness. It's a belonging problem. It's a relational problem. Who calls you on your birthday? Where do you go Christmas morning, et cetera? And mm-hmm. so, or, or just where do you go when you're struggling and discouraged? Because everybody's there all the time. And so it's not that more difficult things have happened to someone and that's why they're on the street, although that could be the case for sure. But it often has to do with difficult things have happened to people and they have no one to bear burdens with them. They have no one to encourage them or give them counsel or wisdom or uh, pray with them or, or help them seek the Lord's guidance on something. And so what we realized as we would watch people walk out of, you know, 20 year meth addictions, <laughs> you know, like just insane scenarios is what they really needed was healthy, loving relationships. And, mm. and often what got them out on the street was unhealthy, manipulative or abusive relationships. Yeah. And so, so it's like, man, in the case of Seattle, okay, we've got, a, you know, a conservative number of 12,000 homeless people. So how do you walk, you know, and it takes several years. <laughs> how do you walk for several years with each of those people? And probably walk indefinitely because you know, you and I could easily say, Jeff, look, we need people to walk with us all the time, like weekly, daily, maybe. I mean, it's just like we need people in our life. And so, when you've isolated, you just keep descending, and things keep getting more and more chaotic. And so, for us, discipleship became not just an important thing we should do, it was actually what we realized was the thing that was working. It's like, yeah, actually, the reason my friend Christian is now. Out of addiction, off the streets, and a, just kind of a thriving member of you know, he works for Alpha. You know, Christian. That's why I used him as an example. But it's like it's because he he got together with a band of guys and they prayed together and they worked through stuff together and and they mm-hmm. and they sought to become better people. And what's the what does that goal look like? It's Jesus, you know. It's like we're actually trying to become more like Jesus, and we actually need His help to be even become more like Him. And so that pathway of discipleship was really the pathway out of homelessness Mm. all the way down to what is your identity? Who do you believe you are? Who does God say you are? Who gets to say who you are? Was it your abusive parent? Was it your domestic violence? You know, was it the person? uh, Nope. It's God who gets to say that. And then you start walking that out. And so this idea of going and make disciples, you know, there's, there's two gospels that say well they all kind of say that in some form but there's two gospels that say it really overtly one seems to imply making a disciple of a of a person of an individual and one says go and make disciples of nations right and so somehow there's something in walking with people and making disciples that also impacts a place right it's like as we're impacting people we're impacting a place just like how those pastors mentored those kids who were in difficult scenarios, and it changed the the, the landscape and the culture of an entire city. That was just mm-hmm. 50 mentoring relationships. And so our ability to walk with folks impacts everything that they touch, right? And so um, I don't think there's any, any coincidence that going and making disciples includes literal individuals and literal nations. It's like as we see people transforming and and giving their lives over to Jesus and walking in a newness of life in a regener- regenerate way like their environment changes their their context changes the the type of actor they are work changes the type of parent they are the type of friend they are and so for us we were like man this discipleship thing is so critical if we want to engage 12,000 homeless people we we need like I don't know, four or five people to wrap around each person. So how many is that? You know, you start doing math and you're like, we need like a hundred thousand (laughs) people to just to engage homelessness. And then it's like, well, I don't, we're not aware of any congregation in Seattle that has a hundred thousand people. But when you start looking at the church, you realize, yeah, yeah, that's there. That's there. And if we, if we could be a church that took seriously the role of making disciples not only could we confront an issue like homelessness, but pick your issue. Like that's what all the issues are. All of the issues have to do with us walking in some w- way other than God's intended way for our life. And that causes chaos and disruption and difficulty. So when you and I started talking and, and uh, you know, your your emphasis on, hey, the church really has to recover a DNA of, of making disciples. Um, that's what Jesus did. And that's what he sent his disciples to do. You know, it's pretty, pretty direct. So as we recover that, we start to say, oh man, foster care or poverty or, you know, like pick, pick your issue at risk youth and elderly care. It's like, pick your issue. Making disciples gets at the heart of that issue. So for us, you know, one of the reasons I'm excited to be partnering with you now directly, Jeff, is it's like, man, this is the thing at the root of, of not just homelessness, but really just about any issue that you could imagine in your city. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, this is, this is the way forward. So
0: yeah, all the brokenness, all the brokenness in the world is connected to our brokenness and our relationship with God, which leads to our brokenness and our relationships with one another. And right. I mean, that's all the way back to the beginning, you know, like as soon as Adam and Eve believed the lie and were deceived, it, it led them to run away from God and it led them to blame and blame each other. And, so yeah, and then it, it led to brokenness even in how they related to creation, you know. So it's like that's right. It all it all gets back to we've got to help people meet God again through Christ, be reestablished in that relationship with Him, have their their relationships with each other transformed, mm-hmm. and then things start to change. And uh, that's the that's one of the reasons what I when we first started meeting, I loved I really loved our engagement because I think. A lot of people are trying to start in the wrong place. They're trying to bring change to a culture without change to relationships. Right. And you can't, it's just, everything is the outcome of our relationships.
1: Yeah, that's right. And and I think one of the realities of making a disciple, right, is it's not just, I mean, it's certainly starts in places like identity, right? Like, hey, who, who gets to say, who gets to say your value and, you know, and, and who gets to say that you're loved and who gets to say that you matter? And, but it, it quickly turns into gifting and mission because a true disciple isn't just someone who is sort of resting on some principles that they're aware of. But it's like, no, a, a disciple is somebody who's actually enacting these things. Like they're actually putting these things to practice. So, so what's beautiful about these guys who are, say, coming out of Union Gospel Mission and um, like one of our churches on the east side, Westminster, they do an alpha course with guys who are in addiction at union gospel mission. So you have, you know, for those listening on the podcast, it's like, you know, kind of in the Bellevue Redmond area. It's, it's a, I don't know, it's a wealthy area and, and it's a, it's a beautiful church. It's a great congregation, but to take folks who are living on the street, throw them into a Bible study with some other folks, it's just awesome. You know, (laughs) and um, the church is like, I don't know how much we're helping them, but it's helping us a ton. And what you realize is that that's that, that's that economy that God has is, is as we're going out and making disciples, he's actually transforming us. <laughs> he's actually helping us understand more deeply what it means to love and, and to be generous and to serve and uh, to trust in God and to pray. And so when we talk about this idea of serving the city has to be a, a critical ingredient, right? It's like, we can't just agree on theological stuff. That stuff is very important, but we have that theological stuff so we can go <laughs> and let yeah. and so those things so that it can hold us as we go. Just like, I remember a guy who did a, a wedding recently who, who said, you know, to love and to hold and to, to honor and cherish and sickness and in health. And he was like, you're not going to do this, by the way, <laughs> like, But when you have these standards, as you walk through your marriage, you can get back. You can come back and say, oh yeah, I've got to honor and cherish. I've got to love even in sickness and even in health when it's easy to just kind of float away from each other. And so that discipleship principle is really critical for mission, right? Like we're not just making disciples studying something, but we're actually making disciples in seeing the unfolding of the kingdom of God in our city. So these are Jesus metaphors, right? It's like your yeast. So what is yeast? It goes into dough and it changes the whole thing. It's just a little, a little bit, but it changes the entire thing. What is, what is salt? Well, it's just a little thing that preserves. And, you know, we know all these things, but those metaphors of the kingdom are small things that, that change the whole thing, right? It's a seed as, as we're serving the city. It's like, if there isn't a, a really sober and serious, Commitment to actually making disciples. I I guess I'd say I'm not really sure what you're doing. (laughs) You know, I'm not really sure what what you're building. An example with homelessness: we'd have folks come down, really well-meaning. They would come down and they would give people sandwiches, right? So it's like, hey, there's homeless people down here, and they'd come down and give them sandwiches. And part of my job, which was always a little awkward, was I had to go meet with them and say hey, we love your guys' heart for this, but just so you know, when you give them a sandwich, they no longer have to remain sober because there's like 50 places to eat down here, but you have to be sober everywhere. So the problem is not that they don't have food. The problem is that there's a daily struggle of do I eat or do I use? Like that's the, I mean, that's a serious problem, right? So when you give them a sandwich, you remove the struggle for them. And in a way, you kind of help entrap them in this situation. And so it's like, hey, why don't you work with an organization like Union Gospel Mission or like, you know, there's other organizations, of course, but work with someone who's walking long term Mm. as you're serving the city because that discipleship flywheel is the thing that will bring transformation both to the individual and to the city. So yeah, it's like, take really seriously that model of like, okay, we want to engage whatever issue it is, a graduation rate. Okay, how do we make disciples to change the graduation rate? <laughs> you know, how do we make disciples to solve homelessness? How do we make disciples to change our economic, you know, our, our, our marketplace uh, issues or lack of work or lack of jobs? Or It, it always comes down to that as a foundation. And um, mm. that was something we kind of learned just firsthand working with the homeless community of Seattle.
0: That's great. Yeah, thanks for sharing all that. In fact, a couple principles I just want to draw out that you said is one principle that you didn't say overtly, but it's covert, and I want to make sure I make it more overt. And that is, uh, go and learn from the people who are already there. Like, yeah, and in the case of homelessness, like, hey, they're a great organization who've been doing this a long time. Mm-hmm. Don't think that you, you somehow know more than they do. You probably don't. <laughs> so go <laughs> learn, go join them, go serve alongside them. In fact, I interviewed another person around foster care. And and one of the things she said is like, we learned that we, we're better off asking questions about what would be helpful and what is needed and what do we not yet know that we need to know. And I think coming with a posture of humility into a space where someone's probably already been working ahead of you is a, always, I think, a, a wise way to do things. And then don't think you need to duplicate. Sometimes you just need to join. Um, yeah. yeah. And some things need, need to be redeemed. Like Union Gospel Mission is very clear about their conviction about the gospel and the need for disciple-making. So it's super easy to partner with them, whereas others might not be as easy. We might need to redeem some brokenness in some of the other works. But start with what already exists. Go learn from it humbly. Join it. Be willing to be taught (laughs) that, hey, sandwiches aren't really helpful right now. There's another way that we can be more helpful. So I think that kind of posture of humility. I think another principle that I heard really come out as you were sharing is the idea that at the heart of it, we're trying to display the heart of God. You know, you said like, this is theology, but theology has practice. And it's like, everything you're talking about is is coming out of our understanding of what God's like. So Jesus is able to say, hey, I didn't come just to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom. And then he washes his disciples' feet in another setting and says, now I've set an example, what I've done to you, now you go do to others. Well, why is that? Well, it's because we want the world to know that the heart of our God, he's willing to serve. He's willing to lay down his life for mm-hmm. others. So we're, we're really bringing a demonstration in tangible form of the kingdom. Which is okay. the whole yeast, salt, all those metaphors are really a way of saying this is what God does. <laughs> yeah, <that's fair. laughs> when a little baby enters into the universe, he changes the world. When right. when that little baby lays down his life, he preserves what is rotten. You know, like mm-hmm. he is the salt, he is the light, he's the yeast, he's ultimately all of that. And so we're as disciples of Jesus, we're just saying, How can we go out as servants of the king? And display His kingdom, so you can know what His heart is like, so mm-hmm. you can eventually come to Him. And then, as you come to Him, together we'll see the world change. So, mm-hmm. I I love how you shared that, and and I just I just think connecting the dots around the fact that this is we aren't doing this just pragmatically because it works, though it does, but we're doing it because theologically it's what we know God is like, and so yeah, we're displaying right.
1: Him. Yeah, and it's and it's it's a heart alignment, right? It's like. You could go out and do anything that would be considered objectively good, like handing out a sandwich or or whatever. but if you if you shifted the lens, it's like God is love, right? so uh, anyone who who does not love can't say that they love God, right? because God is love. And so how do you do that in love? Well, love is a relational word, right? It's like it's like you just yeah. start unpacking that a little bit and you find yourself in a discipleship scenario pretty quickly. That's it's right. Like, it's like, Hey, take a few minutes. What's, what's going on with this person? You know, talk with them, offer to pray with them. If, if you've got 10 minutes, give them a sandwich, but find out what's going on and take a yes. few minutes and disciple for a minute. You know, I think it's, I think it's really critical, but I think, you know, Jeff, I'd say as, as people do go to serve the city, one maybe practical thing I would really encourage is that kind of alignment of affections or that, that getting on the same page with God's heart, because Mm. I think sometimes the church, you know, whether intentionally or unintentionally, we kind of look at how the world functions and we're just sort of like in shock. Like, how, how could you make that decision? How, how on earth could you have done that? Why did you think that would ever work? but you know as i've seen kind of a number of mentors of mine in the in the seattle area there's something that i found was true of each of them and it was this idea that they loved the city right they actually loved their neighbor and so you know it's like you can't enable your neighbor very long if you really love them like you wouldn't mm. keep doing that if you wanted to look good, you would enable them for as long as possible so that you could continue to be the savior or continue to be the good guy or whatever. But that that heart alignment with with Jesus, who says, you know, I didn't come here to to be served, but to serve is a really big deal. And so one guy in particular, I was so frustrated with Seattle. And then he just started praying for Seattle and, and really felt an overwhelming sense that God was saying why would I allow you to be effective in a city that you don't love? Mm. Like why, why would I, another friend, Martin said, why would a father give his daughter to someone who doesn't love her? You know? And so Mm. I think that's really a starting place as we go to serve it's like, how do we love this place? How do we love the people who are caught in something like addiction or caught in something like poverty or joblessness or whatever your issue is that you're trying to engage it's like, you've got to kind of like in Matthew nine, where it says, Jesus saw these people scattered and he had compassion on them, you know? Yeah. yeah. And then, and then he took action. By the way, his action was to pray. He said, let's pray to the Lord to send uh, Lord of the harvest to send workers. But we can't skip over that little step of like, do we see these people the way God sees them? God, can you exchange, you know, my understanding of what's going on for your understanding of what's going on, mm. because apart from him, we can do nothing. And, um, if we really want to see fruitfulness in our cities, I think it starts with love. It starts with the author of life who is love. And so we've got to align with that.
0: Sure does. Yeah. Yeah. You, know, you bring up Martin. Uh, and I think, yeah, he was the one I I believe correct me if I'm wrong, who, um, really begin to think through what it looked like to not just make disciples but to disciple a city to really care for a whole place and yeah tell me tell us more about his story i think that's a really compelling and encouraging story
1: yeah yeah he um well very similar to andy he he was getting very frustrated with his city and uh he and his wife pray together every morning and they they said, hey, let's pray that we can leave. We don't want to be here anymore. We don't like this place. <laughs> I mean, this is you know how he tells the story. And so they were praying. And so they said, Lord, would you give us permission to leave? We don't want to be here. We don't like the city. It's just like one bad decision after another. People in leadership are causing problems, not solving problems. And and then right at the end, Martin said, he's, he sort of threw in or change our heart towards the city, but we can't keep doing what we're doing. And of course the Lord changes his heart. And uh, Martin calls it the great exchange. He exchanged his heart for Burian for God's heart for mm. Um And then all of a sudden it's just like, now he doesn't want to leave Burian. We've had meetings he's like, well, do you guys want to come to Burian? Like, I don't want to leave Burian. This is, I, you know, you, in fact, you guys should come. This is the, this is, the, I think he calls it the gem of the sound, right? It's like, this is the best place in the world, you know? And so that type of person can have a massive impact on a place, right? Somebody who has that kind of hope, that kind of, yeah, that kind of vision for a place to see it work and not to just throw out people, but to help disciple them, disciple leaders toward making better decisions and making, taking better action or inaction, like, hey, can you just stop? That would be helpful. (laughs) But his idea is, you know, we've got to disciple the whole city, because if you take homelessness as an example, it's not just getting someone shelter. That person needs a job. That person probably needs to work through some traumatic things that have happened in life. That person needs friendships. That person needs family. That person needs meaningful work. That person needs to exercise their gifts. And so all of a sudden, it's like, we need the marketplace. We need the hospital. We need the education system. We need good governance. We need good law enforcement. And it's like, all of it matters. And so what they're doing in Burien and what we'd love to see happen, of course, throughout the Seattle region. And we've got lots of cities that are doing something like this, but it's like, Hey, why don't we just start getting a group of people together who are saying, Lord, like John Knox said, give me Scotland or I die. It's like, give me Burien or I die. You know? Mm-hmm. It's like, let's start gathering the people who are feeling this way about this place and let's start praying and let's start doing stuff. And so he's kind of taking that idea, we want to disciple the whole city, and a discipled city disciples other cities. <laughs> so a Burian that solves homelessness, it you know, that's a city that other cities are gonna go. How did you do that? What did you do? How exactly did that play out? So yeah, that's the kind of vision that they're looking at. It's like, how do we disciple this city? so that it is in alignment with the kingdom. Our, our friend, uh, Rick McKinley uses that language of like, what are the things that are oppressive in the city that need to be confronted? And what are the things in our city that are, 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 um, are redeemable? Like these are, these are great things. We need to get poor gas on these things. And, um, you know, that those are the types of things that, that I think you start doing as you start praying for a city. It's like, Hey, this is a good business leader. We need to work with them, pray with them, help get him going in the right direction. <laughs> uh, mm. or this person needs to be confronted. And and so discipling a city, it's a it's a it's quite an it, quite an interesting approach, but it's it's very I, I believe it's in line with Jesus as he says, go and make disciples of nations. Um mm. and uh and in first Timothy, which has been a, a passage we've been using a lot, Jeff, over the last year, but when he says First uh, Timothy two one, he says, "Go and pray for all people, and especially those in leadership." There, there really is something to be said about the fact that people in leadership affect all people, and mm. you know, it's like, be careful, leaders. You know, like there's, you you may want to tie a millstone around your neck if you're going to start misleading uh, little ones, but but I think there's something in that that has to do with discipling a city. It's like, Hey, let's, let's govern, right. Let's govern. Well, let's gov- govern in a righteous and just way. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's part of, I think what, what we have to be about because if we're just seeking individual conversion or something like that, a conversion of individuals, but don't expect that to play out in the world, in some sort of consequential way, I, I think that we we don't really understand uh, fully how how much how many things God wants to redeem. Right? It's the Colossians. It's mm-hmm. like He's He's actually reconciling all things to Himself. So yeah, yes.
0: Yeah, that, that overly privatized, individualistic approach to discipleship is really not reflective of the heart of Jesus. That right. he his primary concern wasn't just, though it is this, it's not just that we're transformed. It's that as we're transformed, we live lives under his kingship yeah. uh, and pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Like he really did expect our lives to, to impact and reflect the kingdom of God, um, to impact the world in such a way that they see the kingdom of God breaking in. And, yeah. and that's, I know that's what Martin has desired. You know, I, I, as we're talking about this, I think of even someone like Matt Rourke, you know, and yeah. um, I mean, he's, yeah. he's kind of like, for me become one of my, one of my heroes, you know, in this region. Cause, and maybe you can tell more of the story too, but like, from what I understand, Matt is a janitor in a high school, I think. And, yeah. Uh,
1: or a middle school, you maybe. know, yeah.
0: Middle school. Yeah. And was, you know, part of some of the meetings that we had for Saturate the Sound in the Kent area and just kind of got a heart for like, what could he do in Kent? And then, of course, 2020 happens in the pandemic. And, you know, he doesn't really have to clean a school very much anymore because right. we're not gathering in it. I mean, you, I think you, do you know the story? Yeah, uh, what I mean, he it, did? basically
1: he just started a food distribution work because there were some people who were shut in. Some people were literally had COVID. And so it started with some food delivery type stuff. And uh, at Union Gospel Mission, we had a warehouse in Kent. And so we had the idea, again, thinking in terms of making disciples as you serve a city, it's like, Hey, we could we could do a pop up in a parking lot and give away a bunch of food, no problem. But how do we give it away relationally, in a way that makes disciples? And Matt just like went crazy on this. And I think he said they stopped counting at at four million meals or something like that that they had given away. I mean, they just kind of stopped counting because it's like we we don't even we're not even sure that's a real number at this point, you know, but yeah, I mean, he, I mean, businesses, churches, schools, um, nonprofits like federal groups, state groups, county groups, city groups. And, you know, you've got this, this, um, janitor who's basically feeding a city, you know, Yeah, uh, it's <laughs> actually pretty remarkable.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, the mayor's asking for prayer. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah, it's just totally. affecting everything. It's yeah. just, and uh, the reason why I love that story is because he did what he could with what he had. And it w- it was that yeast. It was that salt. It was like the Lord just said, let me show you what I can do. And yeah, I'll, right. I'll, I'll build this bigger than you could have ever imagined. And it's yes. just one person. And I think he started just like knocking on doors in his apartment complex or something, asking That's them what, right. people yeah. needed and what they needed prayer for. And it led to, Oh, people need meals. Oh, let's get some right. help. And then God just blew that thing up beyond what he could ever imagine. He, every once in a while, he sends me a text. He's like, I'm on fire today. I'm so excited. Like he's just full of passion and just because he's getting to be, he's getting to see the kingdom of God break in and it didn't require him to be remarkable or, you know, a big deal. It just was faithfulness, you know, in the opportunity God gave him and, and so I I love that story because it feels like the little boy bringing his lunch, you know, yes, to yeah. the to and then Jesus saying, "Let me show you how I can feed thousands with your little offering." And I That's I think right. the thing that I'm really wanting listeners to hear is uh don't start big, just start with where you're at and start with what God's put in front of you and step into that opportunity and see what he does with it because he he's able to do far more than we could ever ask or imagine for sure.
1: Yeah, undoubtedly. Yeah. That's, that's a good word, Jeff. And I think, you know, I think just to add to that uh, when we were at Westgate a couple of weeks ago, I don't know, a month ago or something, but just that, that CS Lewis quote where he says uh, when you study the world's leaders, they all look the exact same, you know, Genghis Khan is really not that different from Julius Caesar. Who's not really that different from, you know, it's like, they're all kind of just trying to take over. And he said, but when you study the saints, they're all different, you know, Because God has Mm. put people in different places at different times, given them different gifts, given them different contexts, given different passions, and so one of the beautiful things is we've pulled churches together in geographic locations to pray over and engage their city. Is it sort of honors everybody? Because what you realize is that church that you didn't think was that big of a deal. It's like actually that's the church that's working with all the people that no one else wants to work with. (laughs) And Mm, and we actually should really get behind them, you know? Um, And, and uh, it's a beautiful thing, man, to, to get out there to get involved in what's going on in the local context. God has placed you and just start to have your eyes open to all the things he's doing. It truly following Jesus is a privilege, you know? And and then the good news isn't us, right? (laughs) That's the beauty. It's like, The good news of it isn't, hey, guys, uh, Chris and Jeff are here. So, you know, don't worry anymore. It's like, no, 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 Jesus came and he'll be coming again. But it, it's, a, it's, a beautiful, it's a beautiful thing to be a part of. So get yeah. out there and, and, and do it. And I would say keeping in mind that relational piece, how, how is love enter the equation of our solution? <laughs> you know, yeah. um, what's the problem? Define the problem and define the solution and guaranteed love is central in the in both the problem the lack of love and the solution it just always is mm. because of jesus we know what love looks like right it's like this is how we know what love is yeah and the the invisible god was made visible and so it's a privilege and i'm i'm excited to to keep at it as we you know covid of course made a giant mess of everything so it's like okay guys it's time to go let's push the play button let's get back in the game if you haven't yet it's time to get back into the adventure of the Christian life. And so it's, it's a beautiful thing.
0: Amen. I think that's probably how we'll end uh, that last word. And Chris, I'm just, again, so grateful for your heart and consistency and faithfulness. There's a reason why people trust you. It's because you've been saying the same things for a long time and, and -hmm. committing your life to helping others live it. So thank you so much for the way you serve our region. Yeah. Hey, as we come to a close, first of all, thanks for listening. I hope this served you. If you would love to see more of this, I just want to encourage you. Uh, don't hesitate to support our work. We'd love your prayers. If you want to be a part of regular updates for how you can pray for the work of Saturate, just send an uh, email to info at saturatetheworld.com and say, hey, I want to start praying. And we'll start sending you updates so you can know how to be praying for this work as it's happening across the country and around the world second if you want to support through giving you can do that as well at saturate the world.com just uh forward slash give uh, we do this work completely based upon support and so if you could support our work we would really be blessed by that and another way you can support is by becoming a saturate member um, if you want more and more resources, more training, more access to videos and PDFs and online courses, we have all that available for a monthly uh, subscription. So go to saturatetheworld.com and you can subscribe and that also supports the work. In fact, for every subscription, we're able to give away another free subscription to somebody in the in the world and we've given over 450 free subscriptions to global workers. And so if you want to support the global work, that's one way you can do it. So. Uh, Please join us again for another episode. Chris, thanks again for being present with us and being a faithful member of the church and a member of this city that you deeply love. Uh, We love you. We're grateful for you. Thanks again for being with us.
1: Thanks, Jeff. It was a privilege.